Magandang umaga, hapon at gabi, morning, afternoon, and evening in Tagalog. Ladies and gents and related denizens of this planet and beyond, you're listening to Hidden Apron Radio with me, Paolo Española, and we are at it again with another episode. This one's quite different and special to me for a few reasons. One, this is the largest group I've ever recorded with, with a mic that can actually pick up 360 degrees of sound. Now, being my first time, there were a few hiccups with the recording. Always learning, right? So I apologize in advance for where the sound dips a little bit. What with the constant street sounds of San Francisco where we recorded this. You'd think it'd be better than New York, right? But such is life. And the many unrestrained laughs we had, which is what happens when you put a bunch of boisterous Filipinos in the same room together after eating a very heavy lunch. Second, this is actually the first episode in a series of conversations with my co-authors. In case you didn't know, I was blessed with the opportunity to co-author a new Filipino cookbook and anthology called The New Filipino Kitchen, still on Amazon, with other Filipino cooks, writers, and thinkers all across the globe. And with multiple book launches going on, I thought, hey, why not meet these wonderful people and get a glimpse of how they see the world and Filipino food? Which brings me to reason number three, the guests themselves. Today's spread is as diverse as Filipino food itself. For this West Coast edition, we feature several folks who have or are actively working in California. Joanne Boston, who you may have heard many episodes ago when she was still very much involved with the Filipino food movement, is the founder of JB Collaborations, Collaborations with a K, that specializes in creating events that promote Filipino food at the local and national level, including Savor Filipino, which is a food festival out of the Bay Area. She's been very much a part of the local food scene in the Bay Area for years and has written for places like CBS San Francisco and the San Francisco Chronicle. Oh, and by the way, she's also a full-time student and has a day job as a medical reimbursement specialist. Whew, I don't know how she does it. We also have Robert Menor, aka Adobo Loco, Loco with a K. Born in Montana and raised in Stockton, California in Manila Town, Rob is a mestizo being half Filipino and Mexican. He's cooked in multiple restaurants in places like Chicago, Ohio, all over California, bringing his unique take on Filipino food. Uh, you'll find in this episode that he's quite the hip-hop head and remixes his food to straddle the diverse experiences he's had throughout his life. Last but definitely not least, we've got Chef Rodelio Aglibot, a.k.a. The Food Buddha. There's probably a K in there somewhere. He has been in the hospitality industry for decades. He is a true OG. Besides opening several critically acclaimed restaurants, he has hosted his own TV show called The Food Buddha. Uh, seriously, he actually talks and looks like one if Buddha was your loud Filipino kuya. Uh, he's been featured almost everywhere. To Today Show, Good Morning America, Ellen DeGeneres, Food and Wine, Bon Appetit, Chicago Tribune. We could go on forever and ever. In fact, this guy has gone global with a restaurant all the way in Rome. I am telling you, we have a stacked deck today with views that span the culinary gamut. Uh, though I did find out that for some reason, they're all Ilocano. <laughs> it was truly exciting to be collaborating and conversing with them, and it proved again just how broad our cuisine is. While we do spend a lot of time on Filipino cuisine and culture and talking about those nuances and what this book means to us, we also talk about broader topics. Uh, how do you inspire others? How do you pass on knowledge and organize communities all while staying sane? How do you learn about your own history and how that helps you do you as Rob would say, and empower you to dream bigger through the subconscious barriers that sometimes holds us back. So, without any more fanboying, please enjoy this conversation with Ate Joan and Koyas Rudelio and Rob. Rob Rudelio and Joanne, welcome back, by the way, Joanne. Welcome to Hidden Apron Radio. And if people who are listening don't know the reason why we're even in this room together, other than the fact that we just had a whole bunch of soul food, they probably needed that is we are launching the new Filipino kitchen in San Francisco. So I wanted to start partly because when I was thinking about this book and talking with other authors, is I think this book means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I want to go around and start with that, is for each of you, now that this book is finally in our hands, after posting about it for two years, what does this book mean to you? 
Ladies first? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Manang. Manang. Manang first. I'm, I'm, I'm probably the queen of the room on the last. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. So I basically wanted to. Well, when I was first approached about this book, it was more like, what story do you want to tell? And the first thing that came to my mind was family. So I wanted to write something that um, documented a relationship that I had with my grandfather. Um, and because he was a father figure in my life, and he was very important in my childhood and my upbringing. And so I, when, I, when I was thinking about that, I was like, okay, what kind of dish do I want to talk about? And you'll, you'll read in the book that it's about waiting and yeah. patience and stews and comfort. And um, Filipinos are one of the most comforting, loving, hospitable people in the world. And I wanted to portray that in the book, our warmth, our, our love for each other, and uh, how we interact with each other. Gotcha. Okay. Oh. That was good. That was really good. <laughs> she answered the next three questions, too. I'm like, dang. Do I I'm sorry. <laughs> how, do, how do I follow that, man? That's uh, it's, uh, quite a thing to follow. I'll say that... Um, now that it's finally out, shoot, it's like, man, it's like, it's like being a rapper on a label, and then you're like, when is it gonna drop, when is it gonna drop, and then boom, like, oh, the album finally drops, you know, and it's just, it's real, but it's unreal, you know what I mean? It's surreal. Yeah, because it's like, oh man, for so long, there was, I mean, I don't think there's been any book like this, you know? Um, and for me, it was when, when you're writing for books, you're writing about experiences up to that time. So I think from the time that stuff was submitted, I'm pretty sure there's been evolution. We've all had our evolutions. So I think this marks like a, um, it's like a capsule of experiences for me in my life at that time when I was putting it in because I've definitely evolved since then. And I can't wait to, um, share that evolution with the world. Um, you, know, I, <laughs> you know, I feel like I'm on the cast of Crazy Rich Agents, man. You know, it's like this is a book that's going to change, to change the game and kind of bring, you know, our stories and our, and our history and, and really shed light on what Filipino food is, right? It's, but going back to what these stories about, it's about a story. Like I think Filipino food needs to remain Filipino food by sharing a story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the story I shared was about family. It was about... You know, and I think, but it was, for me, it was about my first teachers, which is for all of us, is our parents. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and I, I'm more honored, not so much about the food, but being proud to be Filipino first. And the fact that I'm a chef and that can share our culture through what I do as an art, that's secondary. But I think for all of us, I think it's having a voice is what I'm proud of. And I couldn't be, you know, with the diversity along, we're still Filipino, but there's a diversity with amongst ourselves that makes it even more amazing. I think it's that diversity that, and the reason I also asked this question, for me, what it means was it, and, and the reason why I was choking up reading it was because for the first time I felt like I had like a home, you know what I mean? Because so I, I share my story, right? I'm from Saudi, Chinese mm-hmm. Filipino kid. Like my Chinese side thinks I'm too dark and too lazy to be mm-hmm. Chinese. My Filipino side is like you're too frail and too pale to be Filipino. <laughs> right. in the when I was in South right. they thought I was cheap labor in America. Uh-huh. I'm seen as the terrorist. Like basically, no. Everyone's like, you're not, you're not part of this crew. You just like, described Filipino food exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to, but I think most who were, were people were, were like, if any part of you is Filipino, it takes over. Exactly. Yeah. It, it was, takes it over. This, it's like yo. There's others out there whose stories don't look anything like mine, don't look anything mm-hmm. like they're typical, and yet it's all you know what I mean. It, it's it's still Filipino, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I I wanted to follow up on on the dish because you mentioned how oh, it was about teachers, and you mentioned you picked something about waiting. Is how did you go about selecting the dish that would tell the story? So you just spoke about how a lot of takes time, so I get that. But for for yours, why your dishes? Well, for me, like I said, it was, um, it's all like Filipino food. You know, I'm going to say it like, uh, my own Carlo out in Portland told me best. Our food is not a fusion, but it's an evolution, you know? 
So I, I think that's what Preach. my yeah my recipe was for me because um, it it was it's an adobo right? right, but it's it also tells to some of the things I went through in my life. You know, I learned from I learned from chefs working working under chefs who were from the southern United States. You know what I mean? That were just they were doing Filipino food up in Chicago. I didn't learn Filipino food from them, you know, but way it had some influence you know and i was studying a lot of different things at the time and and i was like okay pulled pork <laughs> you know like yeah. yeah pulled pork okay let's do it a double you know so it, it kind of like went in that way and chicago they really like their sliders you know what i mean yeah so yeah I, goes I guess, with the beer. yeah yeah I'm, I'm really i'm <laughs> i'm huge on pulutan that's the culture i grew up in you know Man, you are a little yeah. <laughs> so, so why yours? Yours was very surprising to me. When I read yours, I was like, okay, that came out of nowhere. You know what's funny? too? because somebody, a friend asked me, he's like, where's your recipe on the book? I'm at the end. He goes, the end? Yeah. What's up? I go to dessert. He goes, I would never guess for you to be dessert. Right? And I get, well, it's not. And I said to him, it's, it wasn't really more. It was about this. For me, it was a story, right? For me, it was about how, as a chef, I'm bringing my childhood into my cooking. But my first teachers with my palate, what's Filipino, what's right and wrong, everything, is my parents. And so sharing the story of in Hawaii, you know, drinking, you know, having avocado shakes and learning that avocado was a fruit and was sweet as a kid. I didn't know what guacamole was so we moved to California. Yeah. Right? So then I was doing a menu in 2000 at a, at a new Asian restaurant because we weren't calling restaurants Filipino restaurants back yeah, then. No. We are calling an Asian restaurant down in L.A. Mm-hmm. called Zazen, and the Filipino-owned. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to do a dish, but I, I, it needs to be Filipino to me. So then, you know, you took chefs, we, we create, we're like, okay, what are we going to do? And I remember avocado being sweet, and then boom, avocado mousse. And the crazy part of that dish was I needed color. So I had some lychee granita. I said, oh, that's going to be the base because I'm going to stuff the frozen avocado shell with the mousse, right? right? And then I'm like, what do I got as a sauce? I'm on raspberry sauce. So the funny part of that about that dish, and I actually originally garnished it with a candied jalapeno. The funny part about this is I did it because of color. But when you tasted it together, like, this worked. I looked at my sushi mall. This works. It works, chef. I'm like, all right. Maybe it was a gift. But that's the story. So I I think actually... That sort of embodies like a, a sort of all the dishes that I've created that have that Filipino story, that base yeah. of something that I was taught. Gotcha. And, and, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. side note, I introduced a friend of mine to avocado with milk, like as a dessert, mm-hmm. right? This last weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, because it was in a bowl where they had ice and crushed it, like mashed right. it, I was like, oh man, whatever this avocado cereal is, it's <laughs> <laughs> great. I love like, that. I guess this is a Filipino thing. Um, I, I really like how you, you framed your thought process with coming up with that dish because what I found when I talked to, especially chefs, is everyone has their own way of, uh, I wouldn't say menu development, but the thought mm-hmm. process behind how do you become familiar with your own cuisine. Right? Because for me, I'm very methodical right. and it's like, I have a Google sheet, it's like colors right. and oh, I tell okay. people, only come up with the dish based on color, actually. Right. Let's not figure out the taste yet. Let's just put the color in and see where it ends up. Mm-hmm. Other people are like, I want to explore just this region. Other people are like, I want to explore it based on um, only certain flavors. Right. Umami. Like, I had one friend who was just umami. For, for you, Chef Rob, how do you go about being in touch with the Filipino cuisine? Because you're half Mexican. Yeah, Mexican. Filipino, yeah, yeah. Right, and so and so you already have though. those two, and so when you're like, okay, let me get it. When people say I want to get in touch with my Filipino side, like, what? How do you frame that in your mind? Well, it's just being yourself for me because it's what. Okay, what did I grow up in? It's like when I say, oh, "Where are you from?" Yeah. All right, I'm from Maid Street. Okay, Stockton. All right, that's Little Manila right there. So it's like automatically, it's like. I'm just translating who I am, or I'm just transmitting, excuse me, translating um, who I am, where I'm from, in into the food. Hmm. Some people might say something more complicated or whatever, but it's like, for me, that's what it is. No, How do you deal with the unknown, though? So, for example, we all figured out that you're all Ilocano, right? Let's say that there is an Ilocano part of the cuisine that you're still not familiar with, right? 
how do you go about learning about that dish? Do you first say like, how is it made? Or do you say what ingredients? Like, how do you go about learning about something new? You go home and then you say, all right, who makes it the best? And then you go with them. Gotcha. That's part of the, that's part of what I did. When I went back home for three years from Chicago to Stockton, um, I was spending time with people who were doing it the best, whatever it was there. I just went to go spend time with them. Just like someone, Phil Am might spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to go to the Philippines for an immersion somewhere. I did that just in Stockton, pretty much. You know, so it's like, oh, who does it the best? Go there. Where do they stay? Okay, we're going to go there. And a lot of times, these were just people that we already knew growing up. Let's take the flip side, because for you, Chef Adore, mm-hmm. you, you've been, I mean, we just talked about your restaurant in Rome. Right. Do you have a different approach for trying to connect with something that may be unfamiliar? Well, like I, I you Rob before. and I have had a lot of conversations, you know, in regards to what is Filipino food. Is it Filipino food because a Filipino cooked it? Is it Filipino food because there's Filipino ingredients in it? I believe it's Filipino food because it comes from a place. There's a story to it. You know, it's the, it keeps the respect of the lolas, the lolas out in the fields, the, the fishermen, the farmers, all of those things, right? And it's also about, like we said, the authenticity to people, how they cook. But everybody's going to have their version, their touch on something. Yeah. So you know, I think I think it, it's I think our dishes, what we create, we have to have our DNA in it, whatever it is. But we're just borrowing certain ideas from others that we feel I like that I'll elaborate on that but at the end of the day ultimately the taste is your own it's what I want it to taste like mm-hmm. that's not influenced by anybody else do you consider yourself do you say you're a Filipino chef absolutely I mean you know, basically, you know let's say Phil Am chef Filipino chef whatever matters but doing Filipino food on menus like this is a as we were talking about earlier about you know it, it is our time it is our movement it's the right time What's happening, but there are also chefs like myself who've been in this game a long time. There have been, you know, I remember sitting here in San Francisco, one of my favorite cities in the world, is where my career started. But I remember putting a Filipino pork adobo on a menu in 1997 here in San Francisco. My the other sous chef was also Pinoy. And we were like, hey, let's come up with a Filipino dish and let's do it on there. We did. And so, but that was, once again, it was inspired by our childhood or what we grew up with, adobo, the flavors. But we said, let's, you know, let's instead of braising it, let's grill it. Mm-hmm. So that's the curiosity and the creativity. I think so when you create dishes, is we want the flavors. I believe will remain intact, but the but the um, the texture might change, the temperature might change. You know, the ingredient, the core ingredient might change. It might be lamb instead of beef. It might be chicken instead of pork. All yeah. these other things. You know, so I think that's where the the creativity piece. But I think each creative person needs their creative license and taking a, what is authentic in our eyes, but creating it that's something that's our own. I want to I wanna take that A word. <laughs> this happens all the time. And actually do a bit of a flashback. Because I, right before I went, met up with you in lunch, I listened to our old episode, and you said that there were only three words that you hated when people mentioned it with Filipino. One was fusion, mm-hmm. one was mainstreaming, and the other one was authenticity. Mm-hmm. And at the time, on that episode, I asked you, what was the difference between the Filipino cuisine of your childhood and when we recorded 2016? You said, you know, there's a lot more pride now. Now, between 2016 and now, what have we noticed is different in the perception of Filipino food? And what has stayed the same in the last two years? I know this is a short time period, but yeah. a lot can change in two years, right? So. Oh, God. Um, so, back, I, I actually still hate those words. So, when it comes to, well... But truth be told, though, Filipino food has become more mainstream. A lot more coverage on it, a lot more exposure to it. I have a feeling that people are taking it a little more seriously because it's been so in our faces. So it's been, I mean, since then, Bon Appetit has counted a Filipino restaurants, restaurants in the entire country. James Beard Award with Tom, he was nominated. Um, so the people who are making the food now, again, they're being very creative. There's an audience now because of social media. They want to go try out the food, whether it be looking pretty, if they really want to taste, if they want it to taste. I don't know what the motives of why a lot of these influencers go out and eat Filipino food now, but there's this invitation and it's being accepted. 
we've always been inviting people to eat the food. We've been that way forever. But now people are like, okay, maybe I will try it out. And because of that, word of mouth, people want to go try out the restaurants. They see something on Eater. There's this girl, I forgot her name. There's this girl on Eater who does like a, a video with different Philippine restaurants. Oh. 100,000. Mm, yeah. She interviewed uh, Amy Bessa's. Amy Bessa, yeah. yeah. she interviewed mm. Ellie from um, Boston. So even news media platforms are giving their journalists and their reporters be okay to cover Filipino food. Take this 10 years ago, they probably would say, hell, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But now that they see this rising wave, okay, we're going to ride that. Okay, go ahead. 100,000 views. They're getting lots of traffic on it. So because of that, the interest and the curiosity, it's being peaked. People are now researching where to get it, and they're now researching who's cooking it. And because of that, now these chefs have a way to tell their story. So I think it's it's a circle where interest is being is heightened, the chefs deliver, and then from that there's a product of okay, this this cuisine is good. From from a chef's perspective though, right? Because as I come or at least on my day side, I work in the tech industry and tech is, is not neutral. Tech is basically, um, what's the right word? It it solidifies what is already a dominant, whatever is dominant. So if there's a dominant opinion out there, you know, that's what stays. The tech is not inherently neutral. Um, and there's goods and bads to the fact that we now have this phenomenon behind our food, right? I, I don't think I would have ever found y'all if it wasn't for social media. That's, uh, that's social media space, right? But at the same time, we were just talking about Yelp and how that does have deleterious effects around the consumption of food. Mm-hmm. So now that people are noticing the cuisine, they are giving the, the, the attention that the cuisine has long deserved. Are there any other things that you've seen change quite inherently to how you're preparing the food or how you're even tell, talking about the food because of technology and social media? <laughs> I, I think before all of that, it begins with, with us yeah. as individuals or as Filipinos. All of the all of the good things that come later, eventually, it, or it it begins with us, um, and I think now we're in a time where we're finally saying, okay, it's gonna start with us. It has to be us first, um, taking the accountability, taking it serious. Where it's like, all right, this 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 food, it's not just for the party at the house anymore. It's not just. For our own little Filipino small festivals that only those small Filipino crowds are gonna go. Like, we're taking it to the next level now. Where there was shame to, to share our beautiful food for, for a lot of the, the different food. I think we're now owning it and, and just realizing, okay, it's, it's beautiful, it's food. Like, why? Why did we hold it back ourselves for so long? Is that something that, that happened though, that, that, that increased in pride because of social media technology? Or you're saying that the social media technology is irrelevant in that uh, yeah. rather it is the fact that I think it was social media was, just happens to be there. Mm-hmm. And now we're having that awakening. We can use that social media. I think it's a common, you know, combination of both. <clears throat> where, you know, but I, like Keon Chef Robs, what he said, but there was a sense of shame. Like, I, you know, I'm a kid bring people over. I'm like, don't eat that stuff at the end of the table. What, that, that brown stuff? That chocolate meat? Yeah. You know, like you eat that. Everybody, we all have that story about Filipino food, yes. right? And so where did it change? You know, what obviously I, I believe social media helped pave the path and change. Because I said, I'm, I'm an old school, I'm, you know, one of those old school chefs, and there were chefs like, like myself 20 years ago putting touches of Filipino things on mm. mainstream menus. Touches. But nobody knew about it because it was just, you know, social media didn't, didn't exist back then. But now that it does, we have this platform to see where, you know, and to be more accepted. But I think what he, what the key thing he said, he goes, we're, we're accepting ourselves now. Yeah. Thus, we're accepting that all things Filipino now. Mm. That's the difference. Yeah. You know, where 
I think we're we're more open to say, you know what? So we are. Yeah. You know, and take it or leave it. But I believe our food needs to remain ingrained in that, though, too, because there's some things. As chef, we're going to be creative. We're going to put on something on a Filipino dish, not just so it'd be different, but I think it needs to have a purpose. Because if you, you can't just toss if, bad. exactly because no, here's, yeah, here's it's got to make sense. Here's the danger: define mainstream. Because here, I'm gonna, let me talk about is is Indian food mainstream, or is it accepted mainstream? Did it have to change? Did Thai food have to change to become mainstream? Yes, it didn't. You know, there's there there's no, you know, they're not adding all these luxury items on Thai food to make it acceptable, mm-hmm. but we are. So we Give me need an example of something where we, we truffles, uni, foie gras, caviar, caviar. Oh, no. All right, micros. I'm not gonna say right, that. micros. No, but, but yeah, yeah. you know, Rob and I go on all day about <laughs> this because we believe the same thing when it comes to that. Why do you think people are doing that? I think it's a combination of a few things. It's it's it's, it's there's we want there's individuality in our cooking. We want to do something. There's a shock value to it. It does make it taste better, but what really are we eating? Mm-hmm. You know, what's really the star of the show? Is it the foie gras? Is it the foie gras, yeah. right? Or is it, you know, or is it the patis? Is something, it the bagon? Something just came to my head just because, now. Yeah. Because I feel, here's my analogy. Okay. When I'm in, you know, I specialize obviously in Asian food. I've been known for it in Japanese food. And I study dining habits all over the world and how people douse their sushi excuse me, their fried tempura roll that may have something raw in it with wasabi and soy sauce without even tasting it. Yeah. So their mind, they're eating sushi, but they're not really eating sushi. So it's, it's, we need to be, be careful that are they eating Filipino food? You know, and that's the question we, mm. I dare to ask. We dare mm. to ask as chefs. Mm-hmm. That's all. Okay. You know, but I, but I think there's some responsibility that we have to have there still. Responsibility. Responsibility. I, um, well, when you were talking earlier about like um, chefs and creators who want to put their their take on it, they want to, and you're talking about owning it. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed when you're in the Philippines, you're going down the main drive of your barrio, and then you see Baby's Panceteria, Rob's, you know, restaurant, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rodelio's Goto Shop. Yeah. People want to put their signature on it. Mm-hmm. Are are is the Filipino mentality? I want to be successful. I want to put my name in so and so publication. I want to be the one who is known for this particular dish. Whereas other cultures. Thai Indian, where it's more like we want to do this That's together. That's such a great point you're making. Um, because now that I'm, I'm thinking about it, I'm, I'm talking as I'm thinking right now. Um, I think when it goes back to social media, there were people like Rodelia who started this years ago, where they they met up with like-minded people. They like put a, a dough on the menu. People in New York doing it. People in Chicago doing it. But there was no common link or the reason to interact with other people from other parts of the country. When social media came, they saw that they had a common thread. That's when they got together and decided to work together. So now you have this group of people and they thought they're strength in numbers now. Whereas maybe they thought that they were the only ones who thought they had pride in their food. Now we're coming together in this book. This is Mm -hmm. basically an example of, of that. We are in this book, we're promoting this book together, we're telling our stories together. Mm. I don't think that was happening back then. That's one big change that I've noticed, is that we're not collaborating, and now we're talking about it. And we're talking about the obstacles that many of us have gone through, and now we're gonna, and now we're looking forward to the triumphs we're gonna have if we do work together. So I think that's one change in the mentality that mm. I've noticed. You're right. Like this book is a, a triumph of us working together and and for a bigger cause, right? To be to contribute to the awareness, or as of could we have like could have Jackie done it on her own? You know. Yeah. Like and, and I, I think we do take the collaboration piece for granted because, and I haven't been on this great wonderful planet long enough to say this, but you know, at least in my experience right now, back then there used to be a almost like. Oh, they're not big like, you know, like, you're Amboy. 
George Lopez, you did this, he had a joke a long time ago. He went in front of a, 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 his audience and he looked around and goes, Ah, oh, it's such a diverse group. You all keep fucking each other, I'll be Filipino. <laughs> that was a joke, and I love that joke. You know? Facts. Right, right? Facts. Because the mix. We're not Spanish, we're Pacific Islanders, we're Asian when it's appropriate, when we can uh-huh. get something out of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that's so also, Filipino. We're also Pacific Islanders. That's right? so Filipino. But are we, well, I don't know. <laughs> but what makes, let's be real, what make, what, what, where we can get something out of it. So going back to what you said, about, you know, just being, you know, there is a shame of some things or, or we don't even accept ourselves. How can we expect the world to accept our food? Mm. Think about that. Yeah. yeah. Because we believe, we continue to, to create our, these micro groups to have some sense of home and expect, except, screw that, we're all Filipino, man. Yeah. You know, that's, we have something, part of us started or is from that place. I had a conversation with my barber, um, I got over here and she, she, cause she knows like, you know, that the fact that I was born somewhere else mm-hmm. and I'm kind of around. She's like, does it not bother you that you have no home or that you don't have a sense of home? Cause where is home? It's not, it's not, it's not Saudi. Mm-hmm. It's not Saudi. I, mean, mm-hmm. I haven't gone no. back ever. It's not here. She's like, does that like fill you with dread? And I'm like, mm-hmm. in a way, yes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you can meditate on it a little more, some yeah. Buddha reference, right? <laughs> um, you get to a point where you realize if you're not from anywhere, you can be from everywhere. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. America had, and this was like like something I was thinking of the other day. America had um, Bourdain as their culinary diplomat. But if we extend the analogy of the culinary diplomat, Filipinos can literally be the culinary diplomats of the world because it's like who else ha- hasn't come over, <laughs> you know, into right. the house. And like put well, their mark on the influence and the on the cuisine. Right? But when people say, "Oh, I have friends with Filipino," and they always, it's about food. Yeah. Oh my, I love the food. Oh, that's yeah. Oh, they're that's the first thing. I can't be, what's that stuff? That those rolls? Those rolls? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, always yeah, it's always good. those rolls. Or oh, what what's the noodles again? Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's really and and, and so but that's our language. Yeah. Hospitality, like my brother, you know, Rob said, our language is food. So when you talk about being the ambassador, we can't be the ambassadors because our ambassador is, is food and feeding people and being yeah. hospitable. Yeah. Anthony Bourdain said, you know, there's, I mean, we're the most hospitable people he's ever met in the world, right? So, right. and that's culture-based. So when you say what's home, it's a state of mind. I'm going to Buddha on you. It's like, I'm called the food Buddha because not about because I look like one. Which I really like. <laughs> <laughs> it's because, it, because food to me, it... it all, everything we create starts with intent. Yes. Period, right? And that intent comes from somewhere that makes who you are up. That's home. Yeah. Home is a state of mind. I, I That's it. What's the next on the wish list then, right? Because this is this is an example of collaboration. And I think, like, when we talked two years ago, you were still doing, like, Filipino food movement, like, posting photos. Right. Now you're doing collaboration on events and stuff. Right. You got you about to graduate. I don't know what else you're doing. You're doing like everything else. But what is next on the wish list after we've celebrated this for, for each of you? That's a toughie. Because I'm thinking, what do we want for the community? Or what do we want for the Let's start with you. Yeah, let's start with you. You want for Joe. What do I want? Man, that's a that's a hard mm. one. That's a hard one because I don't think it's one thing. I think it's many things. Um, I I just want our community 
to support each other and be proud of each other. At the end of the day, that's what I want. You know, fuck the drama. Fuck all this back and forth. Fuck this, like, I could do it better than you. You know, there's there's success and, and um, there's enough for everybody. Basically what I'm saying. I just want everybody to support. She's absolutely right. I mean, I think that it's just a support. But for me, for me, let's say, what do I want for our community first, right? And I think it's continued acceptance and continued support for one another. I think those are the big things. What I want for our community in regards to the food piece is for us to keep evolving, you know, but also have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this lightly and strongly, so let's, let's make sure we have some integrity there, right? Make sure there's some integrity there, and let's go for the long game, not the short game. Right. around for yeah. a while yeah. Yeah. Right? so I believe for me I feel I'm like the kuya of these these younger generation chefs and I'm there to assist and challenge them in a lot of ways to to, to maintain obviously the focus and the evolution I'll continue to contribute on my end as the educator and as a chef and you know do I want to do at the time that I want to do like it was a time in Chicago I'm like screw it I should just do a damn Filipino restaurant you know, but but my reasoning wasn't for the right way, you know, right things. I'd rather be, I'd rather support the cause and, and support someone who has an idea and says, what is it? And how can we not just be a restaurant? Because that's what we should be. We should do more than that, you know. Yeah, so that's what I hope from this collaboration springs more is that and brings more um, unity in our, in our community, so to speak. Um, I just want to um, be, I, I want to be, I want us to be examples for each other, you know, um, because that's how you keep something going. You do something, you become an example, something for someone to look up to, to say, I can, I can do. Um, because often we went outside of ourselves outside of our community to find that sometimes, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, man, trying to find someone to look up to in the, in the community when like everyone else is like, you're going to be a what? You're listening to Hidden Apron Radio, produced by myself, Paolo Española, and Ricky Ho. Just two ordinary guys trying to break bread and break boundaries. Thoughts, musings, ever just wanted to rant at us? Do let us know at hiddenapron at gmail.com or at hidden underscore apron on both Twitter and Instagram. Back to the show. John. So um, I'm not in the industry. I don't cook. I cook at home. Um, I am in the medical field. So you and I have that common thing where like we have a day job. Yeah. And yeah. then after we get a second wind and then we talk about food, right? Yeah. So... When I was thinking about my why when I was in high school, I come from a predominantly Filipino community. More than 75% of my school was Filipino. Um, so being a Filipino in the Bay Area was natural, where I didn't have to try hard to be something because I had so much support around me. Of course, being the Filipino woman in the Bay, you got to find a job. Ma said, you're going to go to medical school. <laughs> you're going to get medical. <laughs> He's going to school for medical. Yes. But Ma, I don't want to be a nurse, though. My mom was a nurse. I don't want to be a nurse. Figure it out. Yeah. So I'm on the business end of a, of a, of a, a medical. Of a medical, right? <laughs> but yeah, at the same time, the food and the conversation was always there. At the time, I didn't know exactly how I was going to get there. When I, I was going through this old um, PowerPoint that I actually presented in Chicago with Don, when I'm gone. And on one of the slides, it said, what do you want to be when you grow up, Joe? There's a picture of Rachel Ray, Jacques Lacan, and Anthony Bourdain. Those were my three idols when I was in high school, right? But of course, you know, like, and I wanted to go to pastry school. Mm. And then mom said, no, you're not going to go to pastry school. <laughs> So that's okay, fine. Um, even then, even now, I've been in the medical field for almost a decade. And I'm going back to school for communication so that I could 
gain knowledge to do what I've been doing for the community. The reason why I do it is because that is how I cope with my job. That's how I get connected with my community and my culture. And and like you, like I feel more anxious when I'm not doing anything. Oh yeah. I feel more anxious when I when I'm sitting there and I'm not going thinking about the next thing. I always feel like there's something to do. I'm, it may look like I'm just on the phone, just playing on my phone, but I'm sending out 15 emails, connecting, trying to get to know people, you know, doing things like these. So how do I stay sane? It's just finding a support system of people who, they may not do what you do, but they're there to push you and to make sure that you are not um, feeling down on yourself. I call them my lifelines. So if y'all are listening, they know who they are. Because check-ins, how are you doing? Is there something I could help you with? Things like that. Even you just like texting me like, hey, let's go have dinner. Yeah. That's, that's support. And because of people like you guys, mm-hmm. that makes me want to keep going with what I want to do. So it's just this camaraderie, this community that's keeping this, um, this drive alive. Any weird tactical uh, advice that you guys do this face thing? Like... Like, some people, like, swear by their 10-minute meditation. Some are like, I make sure I, like, I, some people say that, oh, I will work out. Other people have a therapist. Like, any tactical stuff that you guys do? I've gone to therapy. I, um, I've adopted the, the beautiful use of CBDs. Um, what? CBDs. Oh, okay. Um, I've, I've made time to have time for myself. Yeah. Because... The community and the work that we do is very demanding. And I get reminders all the time, you have to have time for yourself just to just check in with yourself. Um, weird tactical stuff or do weird actually? Nah, you just, you just do you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You just that's, do that's, you. That's, you know that's, that's point number one. You, you know, just do you. Like just, I think it's finding other passions and find that balance, you know. If it's, for me, it's, it's, it's definitely travel. You know, learning, learning languages. Oh, you, know, you and I got to talk. You know, so um, I think that's a big thing for me. Learning about cultures is, you know, like now, like here, I'll give you an example. I, my family goes, what do you want for Christmas? This was five years ago. I don't know. Give me a guitar because I've always wanted to learn how to play guitar. So it's sitting there. I haven't taken lessons, but I have lesson number one scheduled. Yeah. You know, years ago, I picked up painting. Right, because I wanted to see it. And years ago, I, now I have sketchbooks all over my place. So it's it's being creative in different ways. Yeah. That's how I keep my sanity. I need an outlet for that. Yeah. Have to. I totally know what you're talking about. Like, um, it's interesting because our last episode was I interviewed my Portuguese professor mm-hmm. on language learning and how that actually helps you like eat better. But for me, like those would be gymnastics, house dance, and, and uh, language learning. Right now. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with food, right? It's like, right. but but. That's I think I think that's like a way to stay sane is that you find this outlet elsewhere that to relieve the pressure valve. So yeah, it is. Is there because I feel like this this topic could go on forever, right? Yeah. But is there something that you wish I had asked? Is there like like a like a topic that you're like you know what like we still haven't touched on this? Well, the question I want to ask others actually is. What do you want to learn about yourself? Because I, know, I just thought about Dawn again, and she always encouraged everybody to research. For the listeners, who is... So Dawn Mabalan is, um, we, we unfortunately lost her um, last month. Uh, she was an educator. She was a professor, historian, scholar, food lover. Um, she was involved in the community um, and all over the country. Uh, she did conferences, classes. So she's touched a lot of people. Um, and she she did so by making her work personal mm-hmm. or making other people look within themselves. She could have been talking about one subject, but then she she hit that nail in our head that made us think about like what we're getting from it and how we're going to continue her teaching and what we're learning from her talk. So she always encouraged us to look back in our own histories and um, find out things that we may not have known, like talk, like Rob going back to Stockton and, and cooking with 
the best of, you know, whoever made what. That in itself is research. Um, we're all here in this country for different reasons. We are here because of, because of other people's whys. Now, why are we here? How are we going to honor that? So that's what I would like the future generations or whoever is listening. What do you want to learn about yourself? For me, it's just learning how to connect with other Filipinos and Filipino Americans and just sharing. It's more just everyone to just think. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, because I don't think even if anybody tried to answer that yeah. question, that they will fully portray or convey what they wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any absolute that we can put on that. Yeah. There's not. Because it's always growing. Yeah. It's always changing. Cause we, yeah, because we're changing. I'm different mm-hmm. than I was two years ago. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, without, you know, to going into another hour <laughs> of, of posing a question, I think it's twofold for me. It's like, it's, it's, it's what now after this book we collaborate on, what are we, what's next for all of us collectively and individually? Right. Um, so is it volume two? <laughs> Jackie, when you listen to this, all right. Poor lady, man. All right, so um, I think Netflix is on the but phone. I, I would, I would recommend for each thirty of us to recommend to basically nominate somebody else. Each of us nominate somebody ah. else for the volume two. Yeah, that's what I would recommend for us too. That's crazy, right? I like that. So somebody yeah. we, you know, we research or know of. Who feel like I wonder that person should be part of, and it goes on from there. Yeah, that's, that's what crazy. I would like to see from this collectively. Yeah. So Jackie, if you're listening, that's you know we want to do that. <laughs> um, but I, you know, but mm-hmm. I, I love what John said. Learning something about myself, and I think more and more I'm, I'm blocking out the noise. You know, I think it, it's and listening to myself and being much more like really not really giving a fuck. Do you? Yeah, no, exactly. Right. Oh, no, yeah, but we, you, you know, we don't right. because we have so many hats that we we put Fuck on, it. right? Mm-hmm. Now I just want to keep Rod Buddha hat on for a while, you know, yeah. and then be that. Can I so, say something? Yeah. When you said that, I think uh, sometimes we're too we're too afraid to shine brightly, or, or dream big. Or dream big. You know, I think we should dream big. Yeah. What I shared with you at lunch when yeah. we had today of that idea that I had—that's I was afraid of dreaming that big. I was afraid when I asked you, like, I want to change the world and say it and mean it and not be afraid of that, right? Like, you can impact the world. We can impact the world. And even when you think at that moment we have no resource, how is this going to happen? Listen, by this book, we're, we're making a difference. Yeah. So it can happen. And, and those are the things of like, we're, I get the thing about life I learn as I'm your kuya, I can bestow some more, is that, you know, we end up holding ourselves back and we're afraid of certain things that yeah. scare us. And, and we end up going through the same emotions as if we did it anyway. And failed. What scares, what we're trying to scare, what's happening is already happening is because we're mm. scaring ourselves. And, and that's the irony of life. I was, writing, uh, I was redesigning my blog um, and I stumbled on one of my old posts from our first pop-up dinner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote how the biggest reason that pop-up dinner took that long to mm-hmm. happen was because I was simply was like, it's not good. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I was the one who did I, I use the analogy of like, some people say like a door is closed and another opens, but I'm mm-hmm. like, what if there isn't even a door? We just yeah. didn't want to walk through the doorway, the, the threshold. Yeah. And, um, being able to say like I don't give a shit doesn't necessarily mean I'm gonna do what I want or I'm I, I don't care for a tradition, but really it's like I finally have the permission to do something. I know we're so I mean we're afraid of like truth and honesty, like you know, yeah. do us and why? I'm like, oh man, I'm just going through it anyway. You, just, you gotta be the bad Pinoy. You have to be you have to be that one. Yeah. You have to be, oh, that cousin. Oh, or, I remember, oh that I one. You have to be that one. That's when I was growing up and, you know, going, become a chef and had some successes, and I remember my aunties would say, you need to talk to your cousin. He doesn't know what he wants to do with his yeah. life. Yeah. And I said, auntie, yeah. with due respect, you don't want me to talk to him. He's like, why? I goes, because I will tell him not to listen to you. Because <laughs> you get it? You're that cool. 
Kuya. He's that Kuya. Kuya. You're going to end up as Tito Boy. Tito Buddha. Oh, shit. I always wondered where does Tita Girly and Tito Boy come from? Uh-huh. Or oh, baby. This is it. <laughs> they start out as that Kuya that goes like, so where does where does Tita Baby come from, dude? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We can. I don't know. We can say that. Yeah, but she hung out. But she hung out with Tito Boy. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot. Or Tito Boy hung out with her. Yeah. Something. They were hanging out. I don't know. But that's you know like you know, going back to yeah. Do you? I mean, and, and listen, um, you know, it's like I'm on, I just started my fifth decade, right? I've just turned 50 this year. And no one believes it. I know, I don't. Right? But I, you know, I'm blessed. Blessed by, you know, Filipino blood. So, hey, <laughs> well, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. the crispy pop that did When Filipinos on, turn 43, <laughs> the clock reverse. starts going backwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it. get more immature. Yes, they do. Yeah. One of the things that stays away with fear when you were said, you, were, you told me about like people coming to you for advice of what they should mm-hmm. do with their life, I actually give the opposite response mm-hmm. where when someone says, dude, you look like you got it all together, like, I don't know what to do with my life, which I don't, like, Here, here's the secret. I don't know either. <laughs> no one does. No, no, really, no one no, does. No one does. Everyone's just like, it's either you could say, I don't want the fuck that I do, so I'm going to sit here. And, and there's a, a great analogy of the woman who was staring at the fig tree, and each fig was like a path of life. Mm-hmm. But she couldn't decide, so she sat there and starved to death. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, it's man. Like, it's either you could treat it like that, and you get anxious and paralyzed. Or you could say, this looks fun. Let me try it. I didn't like that. Let me try this one now, you know? And, and that pear looks sense, juicy. Yeah, yeah, it could be a sense of curiosity. Uh. Anyway, okay. So... We're going to wrap this up with a section that is in every episode. It's yeah. a series of short questions. You can answer them shortly or take as much philosophizing as you would like to do. Okay. Cool? Yeah. All right. First question. Ah, oh, see, I already, I'm, I'm, I'm like kicking myself because these questions could become long. <laughs> Person who most influenced you on your journey today. Maybe that should have been at the start. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's why I'm kicking myself. Like, uh, <laughs> people are like, oh, I, 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 I got an answer, but it's a smart-ass answer. Yeah. But there's a truth in this answer. Um, the 21-year-old me. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. People got that Buddha Looking back, uh, looking back, looking back, looking back. Yeah. Thing. All right. Okay. You know, because I, I mean, actually, it was more. I was more like twenty three or twenty four when that happened. But I chose happy. Mm. And you got whatever you got to do. But you know what? It comes with a price, sacrifice. Yeah. Right? Sacrifice. It comes with a sacrifice. You know, you because happy just the definition of that becomes less and less materialistic, more experiential. Mm-hmm. No, and it becomes less about like. You know, at one point, I mean, I, I was engaged twice because I thought I had to be married. Uh-huh. You know, Filipino. Found I'm the last boy on my dad's side. I mean, it's like, you know, I have four sisters, so you know, this pressure. Right, right. But, you know, at the end of the day, and I remember, and here's, here's the thing I remember, and there was a lot of Filipino guilt, was when my brother passed away, shortly my father went to me and said, son, will you please name your son after me? So I felt this pressure. I got to get married. I have a kid. I have a boy. Name it after my dad and my, my brother. And so that, that pressure went away very quickly, maybe within a few years. And then as, as time evolved, you know, and so <clears throat> who was the most influential? It's still that young kid. You know, that's led me here today. So there is truth to what I'm saying. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's still remembering things, you know. Spoken like a divine. <laughs> yeah, that's Buddha shit. <laughs> food Buddha shit. That's food Buddha shit, bro. Joanne? <laughs> <Food Buddha shit. laughs> um, I'm going to say my mom. Um, and basically all the Filipinas who, uh, who told me things that hurt me. Um, wow, I was not expecting that. Because when you are a first generation of Philam, there are lots of expectations of you. And my mom, she was a single mother. 
with two kids. She came here in her early 20s, so she's been here longer than in the Philippines. So she definitely um, grew up as an American, Filipino-American. Um, she's, she hustled. She worked 16 hours a day up until like five years ago. And, um, and that's because, you know, she had um, a granddaughter who she wanted to take care of. She, she had me, my husband, and her, and her other daughter, my sister. So she sacrificed a lot. And um, at the same time, though, she was also a nurse who quit her job and became part of the hospitality industry here in, in San Francisco. So <clears throat> she introduced me to a lot of restaurants out here, which, which interested me in, in writing and trying foods out here in San Francisco. But I also saw that she struggled. And I, and I saw that what she was doing for us took away a lot of what she wanted to do herself. And she's retiring soon, so like she's doing a lot more of what she wants to do. And I'm seeing that she, I'm seeing her a lot more happy. And I'm telling and I and I've become a lot more close to her recently, very, very recently. And she and she's open to me now quitting my medical job and like doing something that makes me happy. She, yeah, she's she's basically been my rock. Without her, I, I would not be here at all. And she's always always been the she's not a tiger mom. As much as I as I said she was earlier, I think she, over time she learned. You know, that like, it's not about the job anymore. It's about like living your best life. Yeah. So when she, so when she had me and she was like in her forties, you're going to go to Stanford. You're going to be an ophthalmologist. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're gonna... But then again, she didn't go to school here. So she didn't really know what was going on over here. How like, how it was. So over time she learned about me. She learned about like what my goals were. I tell her what I do. She's, she's dope. My mom's dope. Yeah. Someone, someone once said, like, prior generations were tasked with survival and we get the privilege of self-actualization. It's mm -hmm. like, shit, you know, that's a huge thing. Yeah. Chef Rob, got an answer? Should be passed. Yeah, I'm just going to say that um, I can't really say that it's, I can all just put it on one. Yeah, um, I'd say, I'd say my, my grandma. Her brother, her brother um, Rodolfo, because he he was the one that I first saw. Um, they say a uh, party, oh, the butcher. Yes. I was a very little kid, and I was I saw them doing it, and then it made something go. And then you know, there's things from my grandma too, like the whole spiritual thing, and other stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Next question. Best kitchen tool you've ever purchased, and it's not the knife. Oh, it's gonna be something so practical. Um, best kitchen tool. I say, okay, maybe your gear. Which one? Your gear. One tool. Okay. I say the, tool that you bought. <laughs> the cutting board. <laughs> <laughs> the knife and the cutting board. They go hand in hand. Um. Probably my bandana. Oh. Yeah. Whatever I got. Sitting here like bald head. <laughs> yeah, at the it's time. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Need that. yeah. Your bandana, your shoes, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'll twist the question a little mm -hmm. bit for you, Chef. Best tool you've ever purchased was not a knife for mm -hmm. your craft. Whatever you define as your craft. <clears throat> Well, I mean, my, my personal, obviously, for me, it would be creating cooking, right? So, no, but there's this, there's this Julianna. <laughs> there's this thing, there's, it's from Borner, you buy it online, eight ninety five, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I've been buying it for 12 years, and it makes amazing, it Julianne's everything, bro. And so I remember I would be doing, you know, tastings or whatever it may be, where I can get a nice brunoise on something, and I have this Julianna, and, you know, I'm, a, I'm pretty good at the knife, but people look like, but chef, those are Perfect in my eye now. And then I said, are you crazy? That takes so long. And I show them this, this piece of equipment. This, this, it's, it's almost like a mandolin, but it's, it has these surgical tubes in there that cut it to a perfect Borner. B-O-E-R-N-E-R. -E I'm going to get up. Yeah. No, seriously. So, I mean, it, I mean it's, just, it's, it's an amazing thing. And I actually, I turned on my current, you know, 
team of 17 restaurants on it too. So now we're going to end up buying them, right? You became the sales I, I should because yeah. I use it all the time. So it's the, it's the one thing. I mean, I have it in my bag. It takes up way too much space, but I'm glad I have it because it saves me a lot of time. You know, so it, it is ironically one okay. of these silly. No, but that's exactly you know, it, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. The other one I will see another one though, but it was really was more of a trick. Was was um, uh, we got the, the these are like like abrasive silk screens, all right. Um, they are used to plane doors. Oh, okay. All right. Oh. Because I would actually put, I would have that. It was a little trick I learned as an apprentice. I would have that on a piece of uh, or, or like on a towel that had oil on it, and that would be my knife sharpener at my station. Because it, it, you know we were cutting everything to order, was so you know, as sushi or whatever. I needed something that was I couldn't keep a big old you know oh, yeah. block or stone block, but this little piece of this abrasive screen right here on a piece of it, and it was money for me. This was a little little trick on the line, and yeah, I, I have no shame in my game. A little journey. Uh, I should tell you yeah. things that home folks would rather do than buy that one single. One of my mentors said, you just need three knives. Pairing, chefs, and a serrated. Yeah. Bam. That's, That's it. it. Yeah. Best food you purchase for your craft, whatever you define your craft. Silicone spatula. I don't like scion anything. I have to get the last drop of everything. And okay. a wooden spoon to get the, the nasty bits on the bottom of the pot. <laughs> Love that shit. The one with the little... Uh, like wedge or like corner thing, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then for my um, organizing, it has to be a good planner, a good paper planner. So I use passion planner right now. Yeah. Uh, next question: Three ingredients that describe. Okay, it's gonna be blood, vinegar, <laughs> and um, more vinegar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so pork blood. Okay. And then there's um, pina curat. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and then there's uh, apple cider vinegar. Apple cider, yes. Okay. Okay. One would definitely be bagong. Oh, shit. Uh, I love bitter. I've always loved bitter. I love balance. Me, so I would I want something. It'd be one something salty. So it would be bagong. One something bitter. Maybe ampalaya. Okay. <laughs> and mm. one something sweet, right? And what would that be for me? That I probably consistently cook with now. Brown sugar. Yeah. Brown sugar. Brown sugar. Yeah. Okay. Um, mine would have to be salt. I'm from Palestine. Uh huh. Um. Second would be galanci. Everything. Everything. Even on my body. I got a calamansi on my arm. Yeah. That's my favorite citrus. Man, the third one. So that was something. I like tart. What was the first one? Oh, I like garlic. Bawang. Bawang. Yeah. If you had to recommend a single resource, be it movie, book, uh, song, whatever, that you think the, the common person should consume to just be a better person, what would it be? Oh. To be a better person. Right? The Diamond Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, man. Well, I'm going to answer in a different way. Okay. Right, I would say, um, I remember one of, uh, like, there was one movie that inspired me, and I'm like, that's me. It was Big Night. Right? Uh-huh. Big Night, the movie Big Night. Yeah, it's a food movie. Two brothers had the oh, restaurant, had the Italian restaurant, that, right? And I had just graduated culinary school. This was because this movie came out in '96, and I remember watching the movie and their and Primo Segundo, right? Older brothers, and the chef would be walking down. The, he would be so upset because he was, he was just trying to cook food, and he and he goes, I don't, and people would come in and try to change his dishes. He'd be like, no, 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 I just want to cook. And I remember him, there's a scene he's walking the walking the beach and he's just pissed off and like, I just want to cook. That's all I want to do. And I remember watching that. I'm like, that's me. That's exactly what I want to okay. be. Fast forward two three years ago, 
I'm watching the hundred foot journey. What is that? The hundred foot journey. Um, uh, the guy who was the, the Indian family chef, and you had the Michelin starred um, restaurant across the street, a hundred feet away. You guys ever see that? Fantastic movie. It was about how he found his passion in cooking, and then somebody noticed that, and they basically mentored him, and, and he became this three star Michelin chef. But it, and he was famous and went to big moved to a big city. But he ended up going home because he realized what was important to him about food, about family, about all these things. And it wasn't about the glamour piece. Why he cooked was not because of the attention he was getting. It was because of the language, language he spoke. So I think if those that can answer your question, like for me, it's food movies that inspire or, or movies that, that relate to your life always have a message. Okay. All right. That helps right? me. So um, I think that is for me. Uh, positive because because you know we'll go and talk to people that will agree with us and tell us what we want to hear but sometimes we want to talk to people who will keep us straight but I also believe our own our dreams and our reality are in our passions that we look at and we and I gravitate towards movies songs that are positive that are about dreaming because I'm a dreamer yeah I think that that helps me um, answer the question sure. now coming back this way definitely um, movies and music one. Huge. One. A single song or a single movie? 2005. It was a movie in 2005 released yeah. um, by MTV Films. It's called Hustle and Flow. Oh, yeah. With a, what's that? With a two-tone? Yeah. yeah. It's, like, it's like he says at the end of the movie when he's, when he's sitting there in the cell. You know, he's, about, he's like, everybody got to have a dream. Everybody got to have a dream. Everybody 